I think that CEOs should be doing when they're just starting out, I really highly recommend that they learn to do their books themselves. And it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is I'm terrible at money. And so if you are setting up your bookkeeping, getting support around just the setup of it, but you're the person maintaining it, what we're doing is we're really like introducing a new neural pathway that says that you can handle the money because you are doing your bookkeeping, mm -hmm. right? I really love that. And it becomes like one of those times that once you scale yourself to the point where like, I'm ready to outsource this, you're doing so from a place of empowerment rather than abdication. And that's where I think, again, like you're really just showing your brain, like I'm choosing to do this. I'm not running away from this. I am not taking this and like throwing it at someone else so that I can no longer be accountable for it. I'm doing this from a place of choice and from empowerment. Welcome to the wealthy and well woman, a podcast that celebrates choosing a life of overflow. If you're looking to grow your business, live on purpose and feel your best while doing it, then you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Kat Sanuski, the business coach for wellness leaders and visionary female entrepreneurs, founder of Be Well Events and international yoga teacher and trainer. My goal in this podcast is to help you curate your life by design and claim your dream business by giving you actionable tips and trainings that help you get out of your own way, step into your power and monetize your magic. I'll be bringing you a thought training or interview from experts that will help you break through your fears, take action and grow into those massive visions that you can't stop thinking about. I am so happy you're here. Now let's get started. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Wealthy and Well Woman podcast. Today, our guest is Amy LaLiberty, who is a virtual CFO. She is the owner of My Virtual CFO, and Amy is a trusted profitability advisor to six and seven figure business owners who are tired of being behind in their books and are ready to uncover blind spots, course correct, and ultimately get more profitable. We love that. Amy also is a certified life and money coach and works with business owners who seek greater confidence and unwavering drive to attract and build wealth in their businesses and lives. So good. I'm so excited for today's conversation and the mix. I just want to point out of like your math and business brain being a CFO and the wealth energetics is so powerful and so impactful. So there's so many ways that I can't wait to pick your brain on this and mm -hmm. to offer this knowledge to our listeners. But before we do that, I would love to learn a little bit more about you and, and have you share with our listeners how you got started, what's your background and what you really love about this work of working with six and figure business owners on money mindset and their finances. Yeah. So I grew up with this fascination with money. I have no idea where it came from, but I just knew from a very early age that like understanding money, paying attention to money mattered. I don't know why or how I just, I'm just going to take it as like some sort of like awareness within like my soul. And so I loved observing, transacting and all of that. And I loved working, making money. And it wasn't until I was 18 that I was faced with the reality that I was paying for my own college education and needed to understand to like really elevate my financial literacy. Because while I had a really fun, like flirty relationship with money, I had no context to like 
things like student loan debt and like opening up a bank account and all of those pieces that I like had to navigate through at the age of 18 and made plenty of mistakes and came out of like my four years of college, like really having like made mistakes, had lots of successes, but ultimately learned this relationship is not something that's like fix it and forget it, but more of like an evolving one. I built my whole professional career with financials and helping organizations build these transformational revenue goals for their businesses. And eventually I thought, you know, I want to be able to have some control over my ceiling of like how much money I can make. And so I thought having my own business was the way to do that. So that's what I started doing. And I realized that bookkeeping was like the thing that I felt like I could sell. That was like the thing that I knew that business owners didn't enjoy doing. And I knew it was something that I could do. And so it just started there. And then as time went on, speaking on different panels and everything, it was brought to my attention. They're like, you have strategy and you do so much more than the bookkeeping. And then it elevated the awareness of like offering the CFO services. And so that's where my business is now. But then also like the mindset piece of it is so important. So like once I took all of those pieces and blended them together, it's really what my business model is today, which is helping business owners create a relationship with money based on their terms and really just elevating that in order to have any financial goal that they wish to create that we're able to create a roadmap to get them there. With the money mindset specifically, I want to start mm -hmm. with a little bit of that. What do you think is the number one? And I know this is probably different for so many people, as we know, everyone's unique, but what is one of the biggest money mindset barriers or blocks that you see come up again and again and again and again and again? It's I'm, I'm terrible with money. That thought is the thought that comes up and it's fascinating because it will come up with people who are just starting out and want to create a business. And it comes up with people who have built multiple seven figure businesses. They have those thoughts too. That is like the common thought for me, what it really comes down to is like raising awareness around where's the origin of that thought. And like, let's like really start to pick apart because there's a whole belief system that is like anchoring that thought and it's just holding them back while they can make progress and still have that thought once they want to create their next financial goal, it's the first thought that we have to really tend to because it's the one that just keeps coming back. The good news is, is that I think as you address it, it doesn't have as much of a hold and sometimes it can be completely removed, but it's again, one of those thoughts that I think it's really hard to release because it comes down to like, it, it was developed at a like very young age. If you are someone who was not good at math, somehow not being good with math trans Translates to not being good with money. For someone who had financial trauma in your family, then somehow that means, you know, your family wasn't good at money. That means that you've inherited that trait. And it's like really just honoring that belief system to the point of, a, and then asking the question, does this serve me? Does this make me step into the next version of myself as a CEO? And then really just like moving forward, knowing that it's always going to be with you for the ride, but it doesn't have to be in the driver's seat. That's so true. And this hits home for me personally, because I know growing up with brothers and my dad is actually a CFO, like he's in, in the, that world. And it was always, you're not good at math. The boys are good at math. You're bad at money. Like you're not good at money management. So I think it's it's a little bit of that kind of gender roles that's mm -hmm. been so ingrained in us is like women are not good at managing money. They just spend, 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 spend. And men are the ones that understand money more. Do you work exclusively with women or men and women? 
No, I work with men and women. And what I have seen happen is that like that sort of mindset piece of it, it comes up more with women, CEO women than it does with men. It's still there for sure with men, but not to the extent of which it is with women, because when women start having multiple six figures or making seven figures, they start out earning their uh, spouse, their male spouse, Mm -hmm. like that creates a whole other very fascinating friction as well. And they could be the person who's responsible for their business's financials, but they may not be the person responsible for their personal family finances. And then like where that sort of starts to converge is always really fascinating as well. So is there one thing that you recommend to people that are facing that other than kind of like just rewiring it and choosing a a different option? Is there, is there something that if someone's like, oh yes, I hit home with that. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I have this belief that I I'm bad with money or I don't, you know, I, I can't hold on to it or, or whatever. What would you suggest to them in this moment as a, a bit of inspiration or tactical tip? Yeah. So the first thing that I like always like to say is sort of like grounding it in the sense of, I think in general, this is not a, it's an issue of which we were raised talking the United, like United States specific um, North America, but I would say this would transcend globally is that we were raised that talking about money was bad and it was wrong and we never talk about it. Right. So it's like the awareness around that, the awareness around in the United States, there is a lack of financial literacy in the public education system in general. So the information in order to like elevate the awareness around like, this is how money management works. It's not a curriculum that is like required in all of the states in the United States, which is a problem. And then also like unprocessed trauma. I know that that doesn't really get the tactical stuff, which I'll get to in a second, but I want you to know that if you are using shame and self-judgment as a way to just further deepen this belief that you're bad at money, you've got three different pieces that are like working against you and just giving yourself some grace around the fact that, yeah, we didn't talk about money. We weren't, we're told not to. And so, and you know, there's not a lot of financial literacy out there for me. And I have some financial trauma that's unprocessed that I'm probably not even aware of, or even something as subtle as buying generic mac and cheese instead of craft and what that really means as subtle as that. And just creating those awareness pieces around it then gives you the opportunity to then make a decision from the present moment in this version of yourself to decide whether or not you're going to allow that to prevent you from moving forward, or if you allow it to come with you. And then from there, you can decide like, what is the one thing? What is the one step? I'm not talking about like, oh, we're going to go from having no relationship with money to like, oh, we're going to start investing finances and we're going to learn about all these, you know, Bitcoin and all that. No, I'm not saying that we're going to take one step. So what is that one step that we can do? Maybe it's just, we're going to look at our bank. We're going to log into the online bank accounts and we're going to look and see what's going on there. And that might just be the first step. And that might be what we do for the next week. And then the next step is we're going to decide, let's create a spending plan that serves us in the moment. That doesn't mean from a place of lack and saying you can't have your gym membership. You can't do this. You can't do that. But more of like, how does it align for your life now? And, and does it serve you? And then like, as you do that, you just start taking the baby steps, the baby steps, the baby steps. And at some point, 
the thought I'm not good at money or I don't understand my finances, it becomes less and less because you've taken these micro steps that have allowed you to kind of just flex that muscle that you are someone who can have a relationship with money and can have a really empowering relationship with money. Oh, that's so good. I love that. And it's, it's something that we can all start with, right? Anyone who's mm-hmm. not doing that, it's like you can get started with that today. So a more kind of tactical, I guess, question on the business side of things, because I feel like this comes up a lot with people is the LLC, the S Corp. What is your take on that? Also for people just starting out, like should they jump right into an LLC or should they not? Like what's your opinion on that? And then at what point should someone do an LLC or an S Corp? Yeah, absolutely. So when you're just starting out with business, I mean, there's so many different considerations and really the focus, in my opinion, is always on like creating sales. You don't have a business unless you have sales. And so it's really just creating your offer and figuring all of that out. Now, when it comes to a lot of people starting out, they are sole proprietors, right? Hmm. So they don't even have the LLC yet. They've just decided that they are going to start a business. They file for a business license from their local government entity and they're, they're off and running. So like that, That would be step one at minimum. And then, you know, creating your own business banking account and all of that. The next step is that if you want to create a legal barrier between you, the person and you, the business, that's where you would want to start looking at an LLC. I recommend that earlier than not. I feel like if you are really in this business for the long haul, then it is a solid investment to make because what it does is it draws a line between you personally and your business so that if anything were to happen with any like services or products or anything that you're offering and you are sued, it protects your personal assets from being taken in any sort of like a settlement. I know that that sounds really scary. I remember like way back when I was like listening to this in like a business seminar in my early twenties, I remember thinking like, oh my God, this is scary. I don't want to have, I don't want to do a business. I don't want to deal with this, but it really isn't. It's just creating that like formal line in the sand saying, this is me, the business, this is me, the person. The next thing is that when you do an S corp, I think what people get confused about is that there's another legal entity called a C-Corp, which is like your inks. And I think that they think when they do like an S-Corp that they're changing their legal structure. And that is not what you're doing. All you're doing is you're telling the IRS, I want my business taxed as an S-Corp, which means that you are drawing another line between you, the LLC, and the as the owner of the LLC. And then as an S-Corp, you're becoming an employee, which means you have to put yourself on payroll. And I, I think really making sure you understand that your legal entity doesn't change when you you elect to be an S corp, it's a tax filing that is aligned with the IRS and not with any like legal structure. It does require other things like setting up a payroll, paying yourself a reasonable salary, and just be clear that it's not changing your legal entity. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And thank you so much for that. Is there a specific point or that you would recommend, or would this just be so personal that somebody needs to talk to their own virtual C, uh, you know, CFO of like, is there a specific, you know, income amount or you know, employee amount or so anything like that, that you would say at this level, I would recommend doing an S corp over an LLC type thing. Yeah. I, what I tend to find is that at the earliest, I think that when you have $50,000 in profit, not revenue profit is when you start to think about it. The reason why I'm saying like you start to think about it is because what the extra costs are associated with 
putting an S corp in place. So there's like the filing, the election piece of it. It's setting up the payroll, setting up the withholdings at your, in your state, as well as the federal government. And then also it requires you to file a corporate return. So there's a bunch of pieces of it. If you are somebody who is operating a business and already has payroll because you have employees already, this makes it like a lower barrier to entry because you already have the payroll stuff established. Mm. Whereas if you're someone who doesn't have any of that, it can become very overwhelming to get all of that set up. If you are currently doing the books yourself and you're just not familiar with all the ins and outs of that. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. As far as doing the books yourself, hiring a virtual bookkeeper versus a virtual CFO, what does that look like? What, what is the difference for people that aren't familiar with this process and mm-hmm. or may, might not even know that there's an option for this of what would it look like for them to hire a bookkeeper? How much would you recommend they work with a bookkeeper and same for like a virtual CFO? I think that CEOs should be doing when they're just starting out. I really highly recommend that they learn to do their books themselves. And it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is I'm terrible at money. And so If you are setting up your bookkeeping, getting support around just the setup of it, but you're the person maintaining it, what we're doing is we're really like introducing a new neural pathway that says that you can handle the money because you are doing your bookkeeping, Mm -hmm. right? I really love that. And it becomes like one of those times that once you scale yourself to the point where like, I'm ready to outsource this, you're doing so from a place of empowerment rather than abdication. And that's where I think, again, like you're really just showing your brain, like I'm choosing to do this. I'm not running away from this. I am not taking this and like throwing it at someone else so that I can no longer be accountable for it. I'm doing this from a place of choice and from empowerment. That is where I see where like where you would start to outsource in terms of revenue number. I would say the earliest that I would recommend doing that is maybe at $100,000. But again, when I think about I work with business owners that we focus on profitability, maximizing it and really making efficient businesses that attract the type of goals and, and, and surpass the type of goals that each one of them wants to, to set and to create, which varies. And so I feel like if you're someone who can learn how to do your own bookkeeping and can be involved in programs such as like the one that I have called the finance edit, it really creates this perfect container for you to have the accountability to get your bookkeeping done as well as leverage like CFO services in a, like in a group container where you can really just uplift your game and hold off on outsourcing that. But once you do get ready to outsource, I would say like the bookkeeping part is always the first part that I would say, I would recommend that you would outsource, not the CFO level part. Like you still want to be in relationship with your money. You still want to be the person that understands what is happening in the business. If you're hitting your revenue targets, and if you're not, you understand why, and you have a plan in place in order to, to course correct on that. And then finally, when you're ready to fully outsource both the bookkeeping and the CFO services, you can do so from a container of like, this person is a partner. This doesn't mean that I'm no longer part of the equation, but they are with me and they're sitting in that role and really helping me navigate my business using like from the lens of the financials so that I can work on the CEO visionary work. I can create new offers. I can do these other pieces that I'm choosing to do because I know that my financials are in hand, but I can sit at the table knowing exactly what's going on in my business because I have like built the roadmap to that point. I'm so happy you said that because 
I believe it's the same with anything that you're outsourcing. And that's what I teach as well. Like if you're outsourcing social media, you should have a good mastery on it and know what works for you, know what your strategy is before you hire someone else to take it over. So I think that makes so much sense with any part of your business is like you should know and understand how to do it and have a hand in it before you just hand it off to someone else. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I know that you talk a lot about the profit first method. And Mm -hmm. I'm super curious to hear from you. What is that? And why would you recommend someone doing it in their business? I mean, again, all of this comes back to like the initial thought of like, I'm terrible at money. So what we want to do is give you like easy, simple ways in order for you to like, just release that as a, as a thought. And so with, with profit first, it's a cash flow management tool that sits on top of your bookkeeping. It doesn't replace it, but what it does in its most simplistic form is it sets up five different business bank accounts and that you have your income account. So all your money flows in there. And then at a rhythm that you decide, and we recommend at least twice a month, you're taking the income and then you're take based on the percentages, putting it into the four different categories that we recommend in a basic implementation so that you can then like have the money allocated to pay yourself. You have the money to operate your business. You have the money to set aside for taxes and then you have money set aside for profit. And that just is taking this accounting equation, which is revenue minus expenses equals profit and reversing expenses and profit and saying revenue minus profit equals expenses. So whatever you have left over is what you do, what you use to manage the business so that you are always profitable. Cash flow is the number one reason why businesses fail, lack of cash flow. And by doing a simple system like this, it helps you get a really great quick look and make sure that number one, you never like don't have money to pay for taxes, that you're always paying yourself first and that you are in a lockstep relationship with how the money flows in and out of your business. I think that's really important, especially in the coaching industry where a lot of coaches get these cash injections and then Mm -hmm. they have lower months and there's more of there can be more of the peaks and valleys, especially when you're still building. Is there any, would that look different for somebody, for a coach in that example, where you are getting these big influxes of cash for from a big, bigger launch? Mm-hmm. And then how you're kind of like mapping that out and using the profit first method there, would you shift or change anything or would it look the same? There's a couple of things. The first thing is, is that I would probably recommend that you create an account that's more of like a vault account. So if you know that, you know, you've create, you've decided your, your owner's pay is set at this amount per month. You know that you're going to put 15% of all your income into taxes. You're going to pay yourself a 5% profit, and then you're going to operate the business. If you want to be able to like have all those measurements in lockstep, I would turn around and like put any sort of like pay in fulls into like a vault account, and then just understand what your operational costs are. What are your owners pay and making sure that you're bumping that up, you either a never have to worry about like, Oh, I can't pay myself this month because I paid myself a lot of money or B like you understand that you're going into this, knowing that there's this like ebb and flow that happens in your business and that that's not a problem. It's just, that's your business model. And so, you know, that maybe if you do a huge launch and you pay yourself three months of compensation in the first month, you know, that for personal budgeting, that has to stretch out over the course of the timeframe before your next launch. So it really just depends on your preference and your style. But if you are someone who just likes the consistency, I 
would create that vault account and then just like move that money up every month as you need to. So as far as money management goes and using systems for that, especially maybe just starting out or how that could change, what is your advice for that? And um, what's just kind of your approach for that? With money management, I think picking an accounting system and a software is the most important first step that you need to take. And I think that what I have found is when you're just starting out, there's lots of different like recommendations that are made. And obviously I have my recommendations as well. And even before I started talking about software, it's making sure that you separate your personal and your business financials. Like you need to have a business account. One of the things that I, that I don't like is when people talk about when they're just starting out, like I'm a baby business owner. And it's like, no, you are like, confident trailblazing woman who is going to do something that most people will not do. So like take that and like run with it and open up the business account. It's not a problem. There's so many different ways in which you can do that makes it super easy for you to be able to do it. And then the next step is like creating the accounting system. And I think this is the part where the abdication stuff can come in. You know, you've got different offers like bench that like you can outsource that. I don't agree with that approach because I believe in real-time accounting. And so like with the way that they work one month in the rears, it doesn't give you like real-time data on what's happening with the business. Then there's like, in terms of the other softwares, there's QuickBooks, there's Wave, and then there's Zero, which is what I recommend. And the reason why I recommend Zero over the other two is Wave is great because it's free, but it's one of those ones that's going to get you to a certain point, And then you're going to have to convert to a different software. And if you're trying to keep your costs down initially, it could be a really great opportunity, but you're going to pay when you have to convert to another software. And right. so it's almost like you're really just kicking the can down the road because at some point you're going to have to make that investment. And then it comes down to QuickBooks or Zero. And the reason that I love Zero is that first of all, it's like designed with a minimalist approach. So if you're someone who is overwhelmed by accounting, this is like, it has two colors, blue and white. It's a very simplistic way of like inviting you in. You have a dashboard that you can go in and do all of the different accounting bookkeeping needs that you need to do. And it makes it really nice and and easy and dare I say fun to get your books done in less than 15 minutes a week. It is super fast. I'm going to download that (laughs) because I, I know QuickBooks, like I use QuickBooks and I feel like it is confusing and I see a lot of clients and stuff that get hung up on that. I've never even heard of Xero. No. So Xero was an accounting software started in Australia. It's very big in Australia and New Zealand. It's big in Europe. It is not so big in North America, but it's largely because the market share is with Intuit and QuickBooks, Mm, but it is increasingly becoming wider known. And in terms of like the price point, you could go to zero and spend $12 a month on your bookkeeping if you're just starting out. And then you could graduate into their mid-size plan, which is 34 a month. They have another plan that's $65 a month. I work with business owners that are in multiple seven figures we are not in that software. So you really can thrive at that $34 a month one once you're ready um, and you've outgrown that lower price point. And again, it's got this amazing minimalist approach. I think that it is something that will continue to keep building like brand awareness, if you will, in North America. Mm. And and more and more accountants and bookkeepers are becoming familiar with it. But if you are someone who's committed to doing your books, I feel like it is a great software for you to learn how to do them and then position yourself to outsource. Mm, that's so good to know. I, I think this is also something people struggle with a lot. And and the initial setup, what is the initial setup like and the time commitment like in something like Xero? Because I think 
people that have maybe tried QuickBooks or started with, you know, Wave or QuickBooks and like gone in on it and then gotten overwhelmed and bailed on it yeah. <laughs> or things like that. Um, so what is that setup process like? Just curious. Yeah. So it's, I mean, any bookkeeping software process is going to be very similar. It's just a matter of the way in which like the steps unfold. And so it's really about understanding, like what are the types of accounts that you need and having all of the information prepared before you start doing the opening up of the, of the accounting. So what I mean by that is all of these, these softwares will be able to pr provide you with a, like a sample chart of accounts, which is just the backbone of your bookkeeping system. Right. And and you can have any of those and be good to go. But then what I find with a lot of coaches and online business owners, there is additional, you might want to track like any sort of mastermind involvement versus consulting for business and continuing education. And so like just being able to like customize simplistically your chart of accounts is something that I think Zero will help walk you through. Once you get all of that like worked through, then you can just start like you connect your bank feed and then you're off and running. I mean, obviously there's a lot, like I just gave you a very like broad stroke yes. walkthrough of that. But again, my program, the finance that it walks you through all of that so that you mm -hmm. can get yourself up and running. If that's not something that you're like, I want to do this now, you know, like going to YouTube and figuring all of that out, all of those things are really like easily available to you. And something that once you have it set up, you're just on rinse and repeat mode. It's a really simple process. And then it's just a matter of like anything like social media. It's like maintaining it, like being able to go in, get the work done and then go on with your day. I would also love to hear you share a little bit more about the finance edit. I know we've talked about it a little bit. And for those that may want to go deeper in this work, and is that a live program? Is that a course or what exactly does that look like? Yeah. So it's the best of both worlds. It's a, pro it's a course that, and it's a live group program. So in the course you start out, there's three different modules that talk about the mindset, talks about cash flow, and talks about setting up the bookkeeping system. So you walk through exactly how I would set up any private clients bookkeeping. You're going to, to experience that and see that in real time. The next thing it comes with is that accountability is so critical. If you're someone who, again, knows that you're going to avoid your finances, having the accountability and knowing that you can show up and know that you can work on your books with a group of people is going to be so helpful. So we offer weekly accountability bookkeeping hours. So if you're like, oh, I have this expense. I have no idea how to categorize it. Can you help? That's what that's there for so that you can get your bookkeeping done. And you have me, the expert helping you facilitate that, but you're doing the work and I'm just helping cheer you on and make sure that everything categorizes. The other thing that I have is quarterly workshops that help like leverage that CFO. So if you're looking to do things like you want to figure out your KPIs and how to create a dashboard for that, you want to figure out your hiring. If you want to figure out how to create any financial goal that you wish to uh, uh, to set and surpass it, like these are all the things that I do with my clients one-on-one -on -one with CFO work. And we walk you through all of that. So it's a live workshop that you can then have access to. And the best part about it is that I really believe financial literacy needs to be more available for everyone, but most importantly for women business owners. I want to make sure that like the price point is very low bar to entry. And then once you pay the amount, 
you have lifetime access to it. So if you're someone who it takes you, you want to keep using it three years later, you can totally use it. If you're someone who maybe just needs to use it for a year, it will be the best amount of money that you spend because it'll be less than what you would spend outsourcing it, spending the hours to, um, to go like YouTube and Google yourself through it. And it's in a community and container that is welcoming and empowering for business owners. Sounds amazing. Is that a month to month membership? Did you say, or? Yeah. So it's kind of like this, like hybrid membership course thing. So the price point is it's $2,000 pay in full, or it's a hundred dollars a month for 20 months. Mm -hmm. And again, it's really important that if you're in the long game of your business and you want to have solid financial strategy, I want to make this so that any business owner can make this. This is like a no brainer. Mm -hmm. This is, you're going to get exactly what you need in order to get you to where you want to be. So good. I love that. Thank you for sharing about that. And I, I can drop the links to that in the show notes as yeah. well for anyone that's interested in just going deeper into this work. Super helpful resource. This is one of the things that I get asked a lot often about <laughs> actually very often in um, business coaching as well. So great resource for anyone that wants to go deeper into that. And one or two more questions, actually. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say is like the number one thing if someone was like, okay, I want to start focusing on this, what would be the first thing or like the top thing for them to do first? I really think that calculating your enough number for your life is very important. And the reason why is that once you have that number calculated, I hope that it would inspire you to take another step to start moving towards like making, like having your own business a reality. And, or the other thing is, is that it just helps you start to plan. Like, how am I going to leave this nine to five job that I have in order to do this? And it starts to be able to create the roadmap and even the timeline for which, like, at what point can I, once I'm making enough in my business that I can go from nine to like, I can go full-time to part-time, or maybe I go full-time to consulting and you start to create the pathway to get Get to this ultimate goal. That is like the number one thing, figuring out your enough number and not your enough number from like a place of like, I'm just going to scale everything down and I'm going to eat ramens. Like, no, <laughs> what is the number based on your lifestyle today? And like what like truly like lights you up, whatever that number is without any judgment, just figuring that number out. And then once you have that figured out, it starts to help frame like if you have a service, like how many clients do you need from a one-on-one -on -one container in order to, to start bridging your way to that? It will help really just sort of loosen any sort of tension, if you will, with figuring that number out and get you to start making steps in that direction. Because sometimes it takes, it may be a three-year journey yeah. for you to go from there. But what I'm, what I, what I want to share with you is like my journey, it was 18 months from the time I went full-time, like left my full-time till like I was matching the income I was making at my full-time. It was an 18 month journey. And it was like reducing the salary increase, like making all those pivots, but it was worth it because I'm on the other side of it four years later in a completely different space, like serving and supporting business owners living like my purpose. And I think it's so worth it. Like that dream is worth it for any sort of little measurements of pace setting that you need to do in order to get there. 
Yes. I love that you said that. And I love how you framed it. Like you're enough number. I haven't heard it framed like that way before, but I think that's such a good way. And I know a lot of women listening to this are in that space where they are still working full time. And they're like, when do I make that leap? Like, when can I actually do that? And how am I going to get there? So that's such a nice way to look at it. And also Mm -hmm. knowing that, like, I don't know your opinion on this, but I mean, I did this in a much different way where I was like, jump it in. <laughs> I am right. going to do it. Right. Um, and you know, that's, you have to be, have a certain risk tolerance to be someone that does that. And everyone's different. And I was just talking to a client about this recently. who's was like, if it's going to throw your nervous system so far out of whack to leave mm-hmm. your corporate job, just so you can be full time, it's not necessary. Like, don't do it. There's no, like, there's nothing saying that you, this is your timeline. You have to quit your job right now, you know, because you're making money and you need more time to spend on it it's like you can ease you can take more space to ease into it and work towards that like have that foundation enough number and work towards that without just like fully jumping off the deep end yeah I love that you were like I'm going all in I'm doing it I love that I would never have been able to do that I love that you like did that and I love that like I did an 18 month plan yeah I did it that way. And I think that that's sort of the invitation, which is know yourself, know exactly what you need in order to like, like rat the radical honesty that one can have in that exercise is really what can help clear the pathway. And there's nothing wrong. If you, I think that there's this whole conversation about the right and wrong way to do anything. And all I want to invite you to think of is that there is not a right or wrong way in terms of like globally, there's just your way and how that is right for you and how it serves you, which may be different than my right way, but it doesn't mean that I'm wrong or you're wrong. We're just being radically honest with ourselves. Yes. There's not a wrong path. Like you will, you will do the right thing for you. I love that so much. Yay. So the last thing that I would love to ask you is Mm -hmm. what does it mean to you to be a wealthy and well woman? How does that look in your life? How is that defined for you? Yeah, it's defined for me by being able to take a goal, which was as small as getting my kids off the bus and translating it into an example of what's possible for my three kids, but most importantly, my two daughters, so that they know that there is opportunity and options in a path that is not a traditional path but just one for consideration and having like the wellness and like the treatment of like how I, I treat myself in terms of mental, physical, emotionally, and honoring that through the way that I create wealth is sort of this beautiful joint uh, relationship of who I can be in this world. So beautiful. And Amy, where else I'm going to drop the links for your, the finance edit course. Are you on social media? Where else can people plug into you? Yeah. So Instagram at my virtual CFO is where I am. And, and again, my uh, website is my virtual CFO.co. And, and yeah, that's where I am. Perfect. Amy, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been such an amazing combo. I know people are going to love this and get so much value from it. So I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on today's episode of the Wealthy and Well Woman podcast. I am so grateful that you listened in. If you loved what you heard and you feel called to share, please go leave me a review on iTunes so I can make sure to keep all this good stuff coming your way. Also share this episode with someone you think would absolutely love it. And I will be so grateful. That's how we spread the Wealthy and Well Woman mission together. 
If you aren't already following me on social media, come and join me by following at Kat Sanuski. I would love to connect with you there and I cannot wait to connect you with you back here in the next episode. In the meantime, go out there and shine as the wealthy and well woman you are.